The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News. Welcome to The Exchange. I'm Liam Proud from Reuters Breaking Views. It's summer, so your mind is probably on the beach rather than in the office. But that's not the case for dealmakers and analysts working in European soccer. Every year, between June and September, the top clubs like Man United and Real Madrid open their checkbooks in a frenzy of player trading. And boy do they spend. The top 10 transfers so far this summer have collectively been worth about 832 million euros. And that's with weeks still to go until the window for dealmaking closes. So where does all the money come from and how do clubs identify the players they'd like to sign? I sat down with a soccer analyst, Sophie Tomlinson, and sports financier Jason Traub to find out. A quick note before we start, Reuters' style is to say soccer, not football. But the three of us are Brits and there was no way we'd remember this throughout the whole conversation. So American listeners, please be advised when we say football, we're talking about the sport of Pele, not Tom Brady. Enjoy! So, I'm here today with Sophie and Jason. So why don't we just quickly introduce ourselves. Um, Sophie, where do you work and what do you do there? Uh, So I work for 21st Club. We're a consultancy that works with football clubs and some leagues to try and help them find inefficiencies in the market uh, and to try and exploit those uh, inefficiencies for their own gain. Like a Um, football hedge fund consultancy or something. Yeah, and I work in the, the football intelligence team, so we're trying to use data to find those inefficiencies. Yeah, football quant. Jason? Uh, not nearly as smart. I'm, uh, I, I work for 23 Capital, to your CEO. Um, we're a capital and solutions provider to sports, music and entertainment. So Great. we effectively lend money into those sectors. A, a football banker, would that be fair? Um, if you have to. <laughs> yeah, if you have to put it that way, that's right. Cool. Uh, yes, changing the way that finance and sport, music and entertainment come together. Which is, you know, you know, changing the way sport is run is, you know, kind of our theme today. I mean, you know, our readers will be thinking about summer holidays at the moment, but I think if you work in football, your mind is very much on one thing, which is the transfer market. And uh, Sophie, there's like a kind of image of where these, you know, transfer ideas come from. This is probably from the 1980s I have of kind of, you know, it's a fat bloke sitting in a stand in League Two eating a pie and says, oh, that one's got, he's got legs on him, we'll, we'll have him. It's, that couldn't be further from the truth, right? I mean, you, you help clubs analyse who's good and who's bad. But, I mean, where does the actual data come from? Yeah, so I think good quality data in football has been around for maybe 15 years or so now. And right. so we're talking about at the level of each time a player passes a ball, tackles, dribbles, whatever on the football pitch, there's a record of each of those actions that they're taking. Um, I think... What's changed more recently is how we're actually using that data. So maybe 10, 15 years ago, it was all about just counting the number of passes, looking at the distance a player had run. Uh, I think your average football fan would straight away point out that that's not the most useful information. (laughs) Um, And so what's really started to change, I think, is how clubs are actually working through that data and finding some useful insights from it um, that can actually help managers and and directors of football make those decisions. Uh, so what kind of, what kind of insights are we, are we talking about? Uh, so I think some of the most recent ones that people tend to know about are expected goals, for example. Yeah. That's the one that the I think is... famous XG. Yeah, the famous well-named, <laughs> or not, uh, XG. Um, so you can look at, for a striker, you can quite quickly find out whether they're consistently getting good quality chances and whether they're then actually finishing them. So you might want to look at whether a striker in the last few seasons has been getting a bit unlucky and so perhaps this low value in the market 
or whether perhaps they're valued really highly at the moment, but there's evidence to suggest that they might kind of revert back to a, a lower level in the next season or two. And for a club, that kind of information is really useful because they don't want to be overpaying for... for and playing. who's actually the raw numbers you're coming to and analysing? Where do they come from? Uh, when you, you imagine someone sitting on the side of the pitch with a clipboard, is, that's not the case, presumably. Uh, not too far from the truth, <laughs> maybe. Um, so I want that job. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, basically, companies kind of pay a load of uh, people to watch football games, either live or watch footage back. And they are recording um, on a keyboard every time each of those actions happens on the pitch. So they press one key for uh, a tackle, one key for a shot, and so on. So it's actually quite a, an intensive task to, to collect the data. It's not something that's automated at the moment. It is right. still perhaps a, a bit more basic. Um, and yeah, you have that data for a lot of leagues across the world now. It's not just your Premier League, your uh, La Liga, the big leagues. It's available for a lot of, of football. Right. Great. And of course, the big clubs kind of have their tentacles out all over the world these days. You're not just kind of, you know, looking at your club down the road and who their youngsters are coming up. But I mean, Jason, you, you, you work with a lot of the top clubs in a kind of financial capacity, you know, helping them think about their finances, how they're going to monetize some of their assets. I mean, what, what is it like to run a club these days? Because, you know... You look at the open the sports pages of the paper, it seems pretty fun to be a player. You know, they seem to have pretty nice lives. Is that, is that true for owners as well? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think you'll probably find a mixed bag of results. Right. I mean, if I, was, uh, if I was to reflect certainly some sentiment that I've been in front of more recent, I think it's, it's a struggle for, for many. I right. think whether that is, um, and that, that comes as something of a, of a shock, I'm sure, for most who sit back and say, so. Are you kidding? The money in football has you know, never yeah. been higher, and revenue never been greater, and exposure and globalization. And yeah. uh, I'll take that job, but ultimately, it is a another company that you yeah. have to run. And actually, um, unlike perhaps in, in, yeah. in our businesses here, where we try and differentiate ourselves, yeah. um, football clubs are trying to do the same, whether it's through talent on the pitch yeah. or. Uh, you know, corporate strategy off the pitch, mm -hmm. and it's getting more and more difficult to oh. do that alongside peers that you know, yeah. eighty percent of which are in the same league, have the same tools. Um, and why is that? What's what's is it? So it's partly because you know, maybe ten or fifteen years ago, if you were a well-run club with right. a good CFO that knew what they were you doing, were, you were fifteen percent winning the league. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> On that basis alone, no but now everyone's, everyone's quite quite good at stuff yeah, like that. I think, so you have to absolutely. I think that um, in the same way you mentioned that, uh, you know, the stats in the last fifteen years have come on and developed a long way. You can look at football and say, actually, yes, over the last fifteen years, there's been uh, aligned to the growth. You know, yeah. if you want to distill it down to its basics and in, in the sky kind of rights and yeah. and the TV broadcast the package. TV monies yeah. and, and rights in general across yeah. um, the sport that have grown exponentially. And with that has come an attitude shift around how significant and serious this is as a business. Yeah. Um, all aspects of it and not just within that league and within your, you know, again, 30 years ago, within your town or city. Mm. This is now not just within your Geography being the UK, London, the UK, this is global. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that there has definitely been a sophistication shift. Yeah. And, and I think that's right. The gap's closed. Yeah. And sometimes it's professional. Just being more professional is more stressful 
Yeah, I think, yeah. I think, yeah, ignorance is bliss yeah. <laughs> for many. But I mean, and just switching back to the kind of transfers thing a minute. I mean, Sophie, one thing that I've, I'm sure I've read a few headlines like this in the past few weeks talking about, you know, oh, there's this, this young lad in France or whatever, and he seems to have done very well over there, but can he cut it in the Premier League? I mean, Jason uh, referenced there, the Premier League which has been this financial powerhouse for the sport. It's, it's, it really sucks in a lot of talent. Um, you know, we've seen Spurs have signed a, a big player from abroad. I'm sure we'll see way more before the, the summer is out. Maybe not as Spurs. Okay, thank you. But um, so, I mean, how 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 do they how how do they think about the and analysing that transition from the foreign league to the Premier League, which is the direction of travel for a lot of players at the moment? Mm. Uh, it's a huge question for for Premier League clubs, as you say, because uh, in general they're paying much higher transfer fees than other leagues because other clubs know that they've got the revenues to back it up. So, so trying to find that talent abroad is, and that efficiency abroad is really important. Um, as you say, like one of the difficult things is if this guy is getting this many shots per game in uh, the French League, for example, how is that going to translate? Um, and that's one of the real gold dust issues in, in football stats. One of the things that we try to do is rank teams worldwide uh, in terms of how good a quality a Belgian team is versus a Dutch team versus right. a Mexican team. And what that enables you to then do is work out the quality of the opposition that they're playing against. So you can say for a striker, he's been facing uh, a defence that is on average about the same as a championship team, or mm -hmm. is it as good as a top six Premier League team? And obviously that information makes a huge difference to your decision when you then look at the context of that goal scoring record. So you can almost, you, you almost have a ranking of you know, how worthy it is to score against certain teams, and then you can kind of stack them up and say... If, if this player is scoring a lot against second division Belgian teams, I'm not going to assume that he would score the same amount against Man City's defence. That's kind of obvious, but you can actually put a really fine point on that, a numerical point on that. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's just like a, an exchange rate for goal scoring or chance creation, which we then use Got to it. get an exact number on. And that helps players be more rational, uh, clubs be more rational with how they price players, how they value players. You don't get carried away with... Yeah, I mean, yeah. in the loose definition of rational. It might <laughs> yeah. be. But, that's but let's it. talk about that, you know, rationality of transfer values. It's just, it feels like it just goes up and up and up. I mean, yeah. you mentioned the broadcast rights. I mean, Jason, what's the kind of, how do clubs think about transfer values? Is it inexorable? Will we, will we be at half a billion oh, soon? God, it's the myth. I'd say the million dollar question, but it's clearly the half a billion dollar yeah. question. There's, there's many experts that are aligned to every different answer <laughs> in right. truth i think uh, my view uh, look it's the broadcast rights and the value and the growth is the oft quoted um in in many cases it's the most significant and that's why mm -hmm. but for a lot of the larger clubs and the larger leagues and that runs relatively deep now in those leagues it is just one significant revenue stream across many that are significant and you know, whether that is clubs challenging themselves around the new digital age and the new data yeah. age and, you know, Sophie, testament to that and kind of the, ex the experience side of that game and the stadium experience and um, all of that revenue growth aligns itself to kind of a lot of confidence around yeah. the next short midterm. They right. obviously uncertainty as to the value of broadcast in its own right and where that's going to go in the, in, you know, the the introduction of the digital age and the Amazons and Facebooks of this world. And is that really just as linear as yeah. they'll pay more? Uh, it doesn't seem to be the case. 
Not right now. Um, right. Not right now. Yeah. So there's uncertainty, but uh, in my view, yes, it will continue. It will slow. Yeah. It will have to. It has uh, to. It will have to. Because clubs' revenues aren't growing at the same pace as that's some right. of the big transfer that's values. Right. Right. That's, that's right. So there has to be a kind of gravity kicks Correct. in at some point. And in truth, that you know, if you follow it back, um, there's really a few of the clubs, relative, a few of the clubs that drive an awful lot of liquidity yeah. across the market. So whether or not, as a smaller club, you have you know more headroom mm -hmm. to grow grow into, and therefore you know more appetite. Ultimately, if the liquidity isn't in the system yeah. and moving around, you know you're part of a much bigger yeah. part of the matrix. That's interesting, and it, but it's not it's not just the broadcast rights that is driving it, right? I mean, there's clubs are getting smarter with, you know, the kind of commercial side of things. I mean, it, how how important is that if you're a lower league club or if you're you know if, if you're not a Man United or right. a Barcelona or something? You might imagine that it's a bit harder to get sponsorships and stuff. I mean, yeah. is that is it? That's I think it's fair. That, yeah, in truth, it's it is that fair. That, yeah. That, that alignment. I mean, Barcelona now, you look at them, they've launched a, uh, an innovation hub yeah. where, you know, they're introducing as many companies as they can to come in and, and use the rich yeah. data and other, right. you know, Barcelona. They're doing a cartoon, assets. I heard. The they are day. doing a cartoon. They're <laughs> building out, I believe, a production company yeah. um, and content, you know, really tackling the non-linear revenue right. items of the last 15 years. Well, if you're you know, and again, with no disrespect, if uh, take a Swansea, and, um, it's more difficult to feel good about launching an animated series around your players, yeah, uh, as perhaps Barcelona, yeah. Uh, and and yet, you know, they're having said that, they may well have in the shorter term some great strategic growth around the linear items, yeah. You know, just by being able to be much better at the more basic, it's you know, get the basics right. Yeah, and you t you talk about content. I mean, there's something that. Um, you know, Ed Woodward at Man United said on an earnings call, I think, I can't remember, there's last one or the one before that, you know, something along the lines of, well, we, we almost think of ourselves like a Disney rather right. than a kind of, rather yeah. than a sports enterprise. Yeah. You know, we're a big media company, yeah. if you like, with intellectual property. And then, I kind of agree with that. But on the other hand, you're like, yeah, well, hard, actually, right? that's, that's not really true if you're a fan of the club. You know, if you're a fan that's of the right. club, you might not even be aware of Ed Woodward. You'll, you know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, the manager right. of the club, and that's the kind of that's that's who I think of when I'm a fan of that club. But I mean, how how do clubs think about the manager, Sophie? Because it's kind of, you know, there's in a, it depends on the club, but a lot of the time that's the most important appointment you make because they will make a lot of the player signings after that. You might not spend as much money on an individual manager, but presumably they they apply you know, quantitative analysis to this stuff as well. Mm. Yeah, obviously the manager is very important to the performance of the team and I think it's an interesting point to bring up about how much clubs then invest in the manager or in the, the hiring process. Um, we tend to find that if you replace an average player in your team by a really good top quality player, it might bring you an extra five points over the season. If you get in a top quality manager, it could be winning you an extra 10 points. So in right. terms of the amount of effort and resource that clubs put into managerial hires, it, it is an important yeah. part of their decision making. So just go, just in case our readers missed that. So it's a, the, the, the added value of a top class player relative to a mediocre player yeah. would be about five points. And the same test for a mediocre manager and a top flight manager would be about twice that. 
Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, if you're thinking about the difference between, say, the bottom club in the Premier League and the top, we're talking yeah. about maybe a 50-point gap. And if yeah. you think about replacing each of the players in so that the team... the whole squad has to go. You, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is the bottom line. Yeah, pretty much. Um, it, it's working out around that, that five-point amount. Wow. So um, I think oh. it normally seems intuitively quite low to people. But, yeah, it does. Um, yeah. Is it weighted so a striker yeah. must have a greater impact? Yeah, and sure, and, and for different... left back, perhaps. Definitely. No disrespect yeah. to Danny Rose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of those playing positions perhaps are, are less valuable, but um, and obviously the five points is kind of a rough rule of thumb, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and different players might add more or less. But, um, yeah, as I say, the managers can, can have a huge impact. And I think one of the things that we see in football generally, um, but particularly true of managers, is that clubs quite often underplay the role of luck in football. Right. Um, yeah. So obviously it's it's a low score. Unless they're not doing well, <laughs> yeah, and they're, yeah. And they're unlucky. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah, and then when you're doing well, it's all down to your success. Yeah. 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 Um, but in terms of how that plays out for managers, uh, obviously you see people sacked after a run of bad games, and and then you have the the new manager bounce um, where results pick up. And actually, quite often, if you look at the underlying performances and what the stats are indicating about that, it's actually quite often that the team's been getting unlucky for five or six mm. games beforehand. They've lost a game by a goal where something didn't quite go their way or there was a bad refereeing decision. And then the new manager comes in and it's not actually the impact of that new manager necessarily. It's it's the fact that their luck has, has yeah, kind of They've turned. reverted to the mean. They were, they were doing worse than they should have been. Sure. And now they're doing... Uh, yeah. yeah. And now they're back where they, where they should be. Um, so one of the things when you're assessing managers is trying to kind of look at their longer-term performance across a range of spells at clubs and trying to see who's overperforming relative to the budget that they have. Obviously, that's right. a huge factor for a manager's performance. If they've got more money to spend, they might not spend it wisely. But um, <laughs> in general, it's, it's better to have some money to spend than, than not yeah. at all. And of course, yeah. you've got the politics within the club. Even if they have the money, is it really them pulling the strings, making the decisions? Exactly. Yeah. Takes yeah. you back to Ed Woodward. Yeah. Exactly. Funnily enough, you mentioned that it, they'll remember Solskjaer, the fans, not necessarily Ed Woodward. Ironically, for most Man U fans that I've bumped into recently... The first name on that list and then the discussion is Ed Woodward. It's interesting and all the, right. the Glazers. And, and the yeah. Glazers. And... Yeah, it's interesting. But I mean, how, how, how the owners approach this, I mean, you're talking about that, the perennial complaint that somewhere at like United is, you know, we'd be as successful if City if we have that, that kind of owners. But I mean, what do, the owners, do they kind of fall into two categories where you're, you're a financially motivated owner like a Glazer or you're a trophy hunter, like, you know, the city ones. And is it, it must be very different dealing with those different types of hierarchies when, when you're banking. I'm not saying you bank either of those clubs, but no. just... Um, we've got good insight into an awful lot of clubs across Europe. Um, it's a tough question, that. It, it's living a few cliches yeah. <laughs> in there. And, um, the reality is, you know, money is, is something of a commodity. Right. Uh, you know, these days, they're all bringing... Right. As, a, as a rule, certainly the top tier can, yeah. um, can all compete. And man, you have put in an awful lot of money uh, yeah. by way of you know, investment through their earnings and, and on their transfer spend you know, as yeah. a comp to City. And the wages. And, and their wages, correct. And, and, um, and so as ever, it's just one component. You know, how you build your strategy out, how you execute on your strategy, how you, you know, the, who yeah. you hire, how you hire. How that comes together, but you get lucky, you, and yeah. then whether the ball crosses the line. Going back to the Aguero, yeah, the second exactly. last game by three millimeters or whatever it was, um, 
Yeah, so, you know, of course, of course it helps to come with not just the money, but the confidence in that strategy. You know, City arrived with a very definitive strategy to go, this is what we're going to put in over this period. This is our vision. This is what we want to achieve through it. And it was very well thought through. Yeah. was very well executed, clearly, mm-hmm. um, and, and it was an awful lot more than perhaps what you see and, and pick up and then distill down by way yeah. of football transfer and investment in players. Yeah, and the infrastructure, the back to your uh, professionalization. Point. Yeah, I mean, there's a, it's if you anyone's watched the Amazon documentary, it's a, you know a little bit fawning, but it does seem like a kind of pretty slick operation yeah. they're running there. Yeah. Um, okay, so last question for each of you, um, Sophie, who's going to win the title next year? Uh, Manchester City. Really? I don't. Yeah. There's I would like to give a more exciting answer, but um, yeah, we consistently rate them. I think as the best team in Europe at the moment. So. And that's based on on uh, past results. Uh, yeah. We basically churn through uh, past results and who you've played against, how good those teams are, and work out the other end what it says about the yeah. quality of your team. Yeah. City fans are going to be very yeah, happy with that answer. Yeah. Well. Albeit not surprising. Yeah. <laughs> Jason, who's going to win next year? So having done my big quant. Yeah. analysis in the background <laughs> yeah. while Sophie was talking. Yeah. So Spurs just have over. to buy three and a half, no, at five points a player, three and a half players, and I think we have it in the bag. There you go. Well, they've still got a few months to do it. So. Correct. Actually, I don't mind as long what Hazard leaving is minus 20 points for me at Chelsea. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, Fantastic. Yes. Great. Thanks for your time very much. And speak to you again. You. Yeah. Thank you. That's all for this week. Thanks as always to the fantastic Freddie Joyner for producing this podcast and to you, dear listener, for lending us your ears. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud or wherever you satisfy your audio cravings for The Exchange, Viewsroom or other Reuters podcasts. You can check us out at breakingviews.com, reuters.com and on Twitter at breakingviews. Bye.